Real Marketing Rap is brought to you by Tim Bush and me, Joe Edwards. And we talk about everything marketing. We'll tell you as it is, jargon free and no BS. We'll have guests every week from high rollers to first starters, all from different industries and disciplines within the marketing world. We're here to set the record straight with nothing but marketing realness. Okay, uh, so we're here today um, on the Real Marketing Rap podcast with James Gill. James has actually been a friend of mine since about the age of 16, I think. Indeed. Uh, we used to play basketball together a long, long time ago and, and get up to other sorts of things that we can't talk about on podcasts. Um, James has been in the marketing world for as long as I have, I guess, pretty much, uh, and he's currently a group account director at uh, Kingpin Communications. And today we thought we just really wanted to kind of get into um, how to understand your audience. Uh, and James can give, give um, a little bit more background in, in his experiences and, and I guess the angle that we're talking about. Um, so James, do you want to kind of introduce yourself, give us, tell, the, tell the audience um, what you've been up to? For those that don't know me or Joe that well, if I say I've been in marketing for coming, over, coming up over 20 years now, it starts to give you an idea of how old we are. Um, you were in the year above. All right, thank you. <laughs> yes, I am older and I have more grey hair. But anyway, um, like a lot of people, and I think I know some of the guests on your previous podcast as well, I, marketing as a career for me wasn't a choice. It was an accident. I was actually working at Thought Park the summer after finishing college and that same recruiter offered me an admin role in an agency. And as they say, the rest is history. But over that time, my main, I guess, focus from a work output has always been with B2B technology clients. Yeah. Um, and I guess the thing I'm most passionate about is at the start of any program that we run is to really understand the audience. I think the biggest mistakes are made in terms of marketing programs where we make assumptions and we don't spend the time up front to truly understand the audience and then build the correct foundation to launch that campaign. And we can go into that in a bit more detail. Um, currently I work as a, as an, a group account director, so that means I am very close to our clients and also the account management team that are running things on a day-to-day -day basis. And it is that agency side, for any, for any listeners that haven't worked on the agency side, it is a balancing act because you're a project manager, you're a, a media, a marketing planner, you're an executioner, you're a negotiator with suppliers as well, you're trying to keep ahead of trends and trying to you know, share that knowledge. So for me, that makes it very exciting. It, every day is different, but every day has a new challenge as well. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I know obviously me coming from uh, uh, client side, not client side, agency side, Previously, I've always enjoyed. I always enjoyed the agency role and the the variety, um, it can bring. Um, so I guess we can kind of get into a few a few of the questions we had for you. You are, you obviously mentioned that you work with a lot of tech organisations, B two B organisations, and 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 targeting these tech enterprises. So what what do you think some of the key challenges are for for selling to tech enterprise yeah, audience? So so Kingpin. Um as an agency is 20 years old, but was set up and still today is 100% focused in the B2B technology space. So we work with everyone from 
Microsoft down, should we say? It's yeah. the easiest way of describing it. So if you sell technology... Sorry, anybody that's under Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> you sell technology to businesses, then you're our target market and you're the type of people that we're working with day in, day out. Um, now, selling technology has changed a lot. You know, technology isn't just sold to IT people anymore. It touches every part of a business, every department, every line of business function. Um, what it's also meant is because that technology is touching more parts of the business, there are more people involved in that technology buying process. Um, I'm a great believer in learning from experience, but also using other people's experience and research. Um, so apologies if I bang on about too much research today. But no, can never have too much research, mate. There's a lot of stats out there, whether you look at CEB that says there's 5.4 people involved. There was a recent IDG study that said companies with more than 1,000 employees back in, I think, 2012 had about 16 people in that influencer group. Last year, that had gone up to 25 people wow. that you potentially had to influence in an enterprise technology deal. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge challenge for sales and marketing teams today is to understand who those people are and have the right content, the right messages on the right platforms to make sure you're engaging with that audience and you're able to transfer that, that knowledge and engagement that marketing deliver into the hands of salespeople in a way that salespeople can use it. Yeah. 25 people is a lot of people. Yes. It is a lot of people. Yes. Are you producing content for each one of those individuals or how, how does it... How does that play out? No, I don't think, I don't think anyone can. Um, not yet anyway. Obviously, there's technology coming, there's dynamic content, um, but we're not really ready for that yet. I think it's more a case of appreciating the challenge that the core people in that buying team face. So maybe we're producing content, let's, I don't know, let's use a CRM or marketing automation sale as an example. Yeah. Hopefully we've all been in that scenario, we understand it. You're selling to both the marketing team, the IT team, at some point finance are gonna get involved, depending on the size, depending on the, size of the organization. Somebody more senior so might also be involved in that. So that's where we are trying to produce content, is to understand what are the core challenges for those people? You know, you look at the, the sales and marketing teams, they have a challenge around driving the business and they want that efficiency that comes from CRM or marketing automation. From an IT level, they're more concerned about how does this integrate with the applications we're already running? Where do we start storing our data? GDPR, other compliance issues, etc. When it comes to finance, well, we're moving from an on-prem solution to a cloud-based solution, but over time, a cloud-based solution could be more expensive. So how do we justify that? So there's lots of different content for different people based on their priorities. And, and this is always the key, is to get marketing teams to not think about I have a great product, it does these things. It's not about features and benefits, it's about understanding your audience's challenges and priorities and producing content based on those. Okay, so so you're, I, I guess from like 25, there's probably gonna be like four or five big issues and it's, it's really produced content around, around those key things. So talking a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe the, the themes, you know what what types of content because i guess there's 
I, I'd I suggest that most of these bigger tech companies are already fairly well known, right? So your challenge isn't necessarily brand awareness as a as a piece. It's probably a bit further down. People already know you as a brand. They don't, they, and they probably trust you to some level of uh, degree. But what what kind of what kind of content are you creating to, I guess, nurture those those leads? Because I'm, I'm guessing it takes a little while. Yeah. So I guess there's two things. Just on just on your first point about brands. So that can work both ways. Um, you know, use let's use Sage as an example because I know you you worked there previously and they were they were a client of ours for a long time. Um, we had to do a lot of work with Sage um, around their ERP solutions because. Yes, Sage had a very strong brand in the accountancy market and the small business market. But when you're trying to sell ERP to the mid-market, the brand almost works against you. Right. So you have to support those messages that try and get the point of the problems this solution can solve with some branding to, to shift the perception of that brand. So that's a challenge. And you look at the constant consolidation in the market um, of technology yeah. that is a challenge for most big vendors today yeah um, you look at where Adobe was 10 years ago to where they are today to what to what they serve what they do the same with Oracle the same with Microsoft um, yes they all build their ecosystems now and yeah you know there's a huge app store available where you start to learn about the other technologies and opportunities that are there for the people that are willing to self-serve so there, there is that educational brand challenge to begin with um, when we then work with clients very closely on the content like I said the first thing you need to do is understand the audience that content is for and the challenges that audience have the next stage we will go through is okay let's understand that typical buying process and start breaking that content down by the buying stages now we do this very different for different clients some clients will look at this at maybe a seven eight stage buying process other people will simplify it down to a three-stage process that initial awareness identify the need that let's start to build the consideration get to the short list and then how do we get to that how do we get that over the line with sales to get it to the point where the salesperson is hopefully closing the deal yeah um, so that's where the content needs to be done what we recommend to everyone is is to audit your content at least once a year yeah and we have a lot of conversations with people who believe they have good content and I think the challenge comes there they believe it's good content because they've got they're internally facing so you think what you produced about your product is good and yes it is but you need to look at that from the external perspective and I, I, I would recommend to anyone that it's a worthwhile investment and we're talking you know hundreds maybe a couple of thousand pounds we're not talking huge investments here is to get an external third party to audit your content yeah. and look how that content maps against the buying cycle and the personas that you're selling to i know you had a conversation uh, in the last pod around personas um but we can't get away from that at the moment because there are those different people in that buying or influencer group. So that's the key starting point. Understand what content you have and what content you ideally need. You spot the gaps and then you build your content and that becomes the core foundation yeah. of any campaign. I think, I think it's uh, interesting like when you talk about the, the inward facing nature of clients being sitting on both sides it is really apparent and, and it's almost like 
totally unavoidable from a from a client perspective you get so inwardly focused around what the product is and how well it's doing and and you kind of switch off to the fact that actually the average joe excuse the terrible pun <laughs> on on the on the side of the street has got no idea like and he's going to come to your stuff entirely fresh faced really really unaware of what you are and what you stand for and what your product does and all that kind of stuff and actually taking those moments in to actually realize and do the research to understand that actually it's not as good as you think it is um and that can come down not just to the to the content but the product itself as well right and and how you fix that and just to highlight the point about content so back to the research again um we looked at a study last week and this study said again based on technology buyers uh, within the enterprise that they only found 40% of the content they downloaded over a 12-month period to be of value. Yeah. So that is 60% of the content. And you've, that's, you've got to the point of producing content, distributing content, attracting someone to go through a download process where they've given their contact information yeah. for them then to look at it and go, this doesn't really give me value. Yeah, or it's not what I need. Yeah. But, um, I guess there's both sides of that, isn't there? It's about really... Even if you could up that sort of forty percent of good stuff to sixty percent of good stuff, you're probably going to get a better conversions down down the road. But you've got to make that content. You've got to allow people to understand the value that they're going to get from that content, even before they've yeah. read it as well. I guess exactly. And this comes back to investing time and effort at the start. Yeah. Um, while we said you know a lot of people are inward facing, there is another big challenge that. And mere marketers face yeah. is the fact that quite often they're served up content that's delivered from the US corporate team. Yeah, right. Um, which just isn't fit for purpose in our market. Yeah. Um, and our market is a complex market made up of multiple countries, multiple cultures, yeah, multiple languages, um, and quite often that American style of content doesn't work here. Yeah. And too many people only get given budget to do translation, not localization. Yeah. Um, and again, the content audit is a great way of highlighting those gaps. Yeah. Cool. So if we move on a little bit, how well do you think businesses are targeting their buyers? So, you know, one end of the scale, there's like these one-to-one personalized conversations that are going on. And probably at the other end of the sale scale, it's totally broad brushstroke. We're going to slap a massive ad out in front and everyone's got to read that one thing and they're all going to like it. So like, particularly in your area of expertise, how well do you think we're doing? I th- or your, I, your, your clients, I guess, are I, doing... I think in the B2B world, we're doing a very good job. We don't have the budgets that consumer brands have. Yeah. And brand often isn't the goal of the campaign either. So yeah. therefore, we have to be targeted. Um, I guess I'm lucky that my career has always been linked to data-driven executions. Yeah. Um, I spent many years just working in direct mail and that is actually sending stuff in the post and also those things called faxes if anyone remembers those barely Um, (laughs) but today we can use data better than ever before Um, and that does go hand in hand with everything we hear about and all the hype around um, ABM or account based marketing 
Um, but I think most people are doing a good job. I think when it comes to targeting, people are utilizing their first party and third party data. We don't see a lot of wastage. This even includes out of home. You know, most people would probably think out of home advertising is a luxury. Those placements have huge wastage, but we have so much data around the footfall through different transport hubs. Yeah. Um, or the office locations that we're trying to target where we can just um, take the billboard slot or the bus stop outside the office yeah. um, or the bus that goes on that route, that we can be very, very targeted today. And again, with the digital outdoor placements, we can control the timings of those just to hit the rush hours yeah. as well. Um, that I think it's really good. If The only area that I see hasn't kept up are the big events. Right. We still see B2B clients investing a lot of money in the large, say, trade show style yeah. events yeah. that maybe attract hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people. But when you boil it down to how many of the people that actually walk through that door, let alone come to your booth or your speaking slot, are relevant, it's quite a small percentage. Yeah. But there's this old school mentality that we need to be at that trade show. It, yeah. I feel like it's almost saving face. Yeah. If we're not there and our competitors are, it's going to look bad. And that's the only area I see today where we are not being targeted around who we think we should be targeting. Yeah, okay, interesting. You might even find some new, you know, you t- take a bit of a look, you might even find some sort of newer approaches to the events that you attend as well, right? And uh, one of the other things I think is interesting on the events front is rather than going to these big events just set your own ones up that are you know more immersive and are your audience base oh we've seen a huge growth in the smaller bespoke events the breakfast seminars yeah. the round table dinners yeah. um, a huge growth as well whether that's whether that's vendors and you know IT vendors themselves that have a relationship that can do that or if you don't have a relationship we work with some great partners where we can leverage their relationships with your target audience yeah. to host that event where you know you have veto on every single person that is going to sit at that table yeah so there is zero wastage okay so how much content do you need then so it's hard to answer that question but you know with a combination of some of the research we've seen the examples that we've seen the number that always sticks with me is around those seven pieces of downloaded content yeah. during an enterprise purchase cycle. Now, on top of that, there's going to be the website views, the banner views, the social views, maybe additional sales calls that happen later stage. Yeah. So there's going to be more than that. But in terms of downloaded content, the type of stuff you're going to need to syndicate and distribute and make available mainly on third-party sites, but also on your own website, yeah. you, you're probably looking at that number as well. Okay, and so when you, when you talk about that, those seven pieces of content, is that seven pieces of content across the buying process for a persona or a group of people, or is it the... So that's that, a key individual in that buying process is going to download up to seven right, pieces okay. of content. So key decision maker. So okay. if you've got different flavours of that for different personas, then yeah, yeah you could times that by three. Yeah. If you've got one for the CFO, one for the marketing team, one yeah. for the IT team, yeah. got, yeah. using the CRM example, then it grows. Okay. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> and, and where should they be putting it, if you'll excuse yes. the uh, <laughs> horrific nature of that question? Yes. 
put it here, sir. Um, <laughs> no, it's not as simple as that because, again, first we need to understand the audience and we live in a world today where there's more and more channels to market available. You know, social media has made a huge difference. How we buy advertising has made a difference, you know, programmatic advertising as opposed to the... You, the previous world of site buys has, has made a big difference as well. What we always advise, and obviously I shouldn't give too much away because we are an agency that does a lot of media planning and has a lot yeah. of expertise in this area, it is about understand that audience first, try and understand those audience journeys as much as possible. Now that, that comes from using the third party tools out there, but it also comes to speaking to your sales team. Speak to some of your current customers or new wins. How did they find you? Yeah. Where do they normally read? We, we run a lot of bespoke research for clients as well, where we'll survey current prospects and current customers and understand where do they go for information. Yeah. Um, probably can't name the vendor, but probably about five years ago, we did, we, did, we did a research study for them, and we looked at the different places people go for information across five different countries across Europe. So, they could, so we could build bespoke media plans for each of those. And one of the things that come up, and this was a cloud-based solution, was these small businesses actually went to print. Yeah. So we ended up looking at the likes of Wall Street Journal and The Economist, and in the end, the client did run print advertising to help them sell what is a cloud-based solution. Yeah. And before that, the assumptions were made that, well, it's digital. only digital is going to work yeah, yeah. because we're trying to sell a digital solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is, it's understand the audience, use the data that's available and any research that you can commission to find out where the best places are to go and then do what every good marketer should do is constantly measure and optimise. Yeah. Um, so we'll tr- probably last-ish question, at least on this t- topic, but like marketing technology, we talked a lot about targeting <laughs> yeah. and and... I think I can't remember who's the guy that does the the uh, Martech landscape because it's like grown Chief, Chief Martech. That's it, Chief Martech. Yes, seven thousand pieces of yeah. Martech and yeah. counting. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's crazy now, right? But I mean, what what we talk about the targeting, we talked obviously about multiple channels, but you know what what do we need? You uh, what what do we need, or what do businesses need to, to put into place to sort of facilitate? everything that we've kind of talked about finding the right audience at the right time with the right piece of content that kind of thing yeah there's, uh, there's two ways of looking at the Martech um, I think unfortunately um, some I see instances where Martech's bought for what I believe is the wrong reason I find that as B2B marketers we often don't get to do stuff that's really creative and exciting and innovative And then someone comes along uh, to sell us this shiny new black box that can do all this amazing stuff for us. And we buy into that and we feel like we've now ticked the innovation box. Um, However, I personally don't believe that's the right route. I think we really need to work out, first of all, what we're trying to achieve, what our workflows, what our processes are, where the gaps are, what... What we, what we know we want to know but don't know today and then find the solution for that. I've seen too many people invest a lot of money in technology, even use something as simple as marketing automation. Yeah. So many people invest in marketing automation five, six years ago when it, when, when it was really growing 
and just used it as a glorified email machine. Yeah. And yet their current ESP could have probably done trigger-based emails and workflows anyway yeah. at a fraction of the cost. Um, that wasn't what marketing and automation was for, but everyone thought they needed it. Yeah. Once you work out what you need, how to use the technology, you know, I'd always advise people, use the humans first, yeah. build out your process, prove the concept where you can, and then look for the technology that's going to help you do it faster and more intelligently and give you a better return and save you resource and time in the long run. Don't fall for the next new shiny toy yeah. until you've worked out what you're trying to achieve. But it has made, don't get me wrong, tech's made a huge difference. ABM's on the agenda purely based on technology. Yeah. Now, I speak to old school salespeople that say, well, I've always worked in what you call ABM. I've had a set of target accounts. I've worked hard to understand those accounts and then sell into those accounts. Yeah. It's only be- become an ABM buzz because there's so much tech that helps us do that. Yeah. And the data side of it, where we can be very efficient, is fantastic. But all of the other tools, just I advise anyone to proceed with caution, work much harder on that proof of concept, and try and build things for yourself first, yeah. and then find the technology to fix something once you know it's something you need. Not buy the tech and go, okay, how should we change the way we work? What should we do differently yeah. now? Yeah, okay, that's cool. So last, well, two actually there's two final questions. For, and they're, they're fairly short and sweet. First one is your favourite ad of 2018, B2B or B2C? Oh, I'm going to have to go B2C on this one. Um, I really liked it when, when KFC ran out of chicken. Yeah. And I can't remember the agency that did it now, but it was brilliant. And the PR machine behind it was brilliant. The social campaign behind it was brilliant. But just having the, the, the KFC bucket that everyone knows there but with F-C-K on it, yeah. and then the small apology underneath, yeah. I thought was fantastic. I thought, what a great way to turn bad press into good press. Yeah, yeah I agree, that was a good one, definitely. Okay, and then final, final one, uh, given that we're on the Real Marketing Rap podcast, uh, favourite hip-hop track of all time? That, or at least in your top 10, because I know we both we both like our hip-hop. I'll give you my favourite album, because I can't give you a favourite track. So Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style, I'll give you as my favourite album. Okay. Uh, because I just couldn't choose a track. I couldn't choose 10, to be honest. No, with you. fair play. Fair it, would, play. it would be too hard. And I know the guy, anyone, anyone at Kingpin listens to this is going to be like, oh no. Because they know what it's like when I get, when I get control of the radio in the office. Um, <laughs> it goes, and goes stuck, straight gangster. 30, 40 people looking at me going, really? <laughs> Aren't you a grown up now? <laughs> Let alone the swearing that comes yeah, with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all... I think we all we all grow up, but I'm not sure we're grown up. So yeah, James, really appreciate your time. It's always good to see you, buddy. Uh, we need to catch up more often for a beer and all that kind of stuff. But before we leave, um, always want to just let people know how they can find you. Whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe you don't want to put your mobile address on. That's uh, um, no, your mobile address, your mobile phone number. But um, just yeah, let people know where they can find you. And and I, and I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about. Kingpin, although you've said quite a lot already. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, um, anything work-related, then kingpincoms.com. Um, if you want to have a chat about what we do as an agency. Um, if not, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. You should be able to find me, James Gill. That's 
James Gill, G-I-L-L, and on Twitter, James Gill, 1978. Not giving your age away then. Not at all. <laughs> Wicked. Mate, thanks for your time again, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for listening to Real Marketing Rap, and if you like what you heard, don't forget to share the word. You can follow Joe on Twitter, at Joe and Tim, at T-Bush. Big shout out to DJ Tiger Style for the music. You can check him out on djtigerstyle.com. For more about us, join our WhatsApp group. You can check that out on realmarketingrap.com. Peace out, people, and keep it real till next time.